Money Roots is made possible by the support of our sponsor, Rooted Planning Group. Are you ready to take control of your financial future? Look no further than Rooted Planning Group, your trusted partner in financial well-being. At www.rootedpg.com, you'll discover a wealth of resources and expertise to help you thrive financially. Rooted Planning Group specializes in personalized financial planning, investment management, and retirement strategies. They understand that every financial journey is unique, and they're here to guide you every step of the way. With a team of experienced advisors, Rooted Planning Group is committed to helping you cultivate a secure and prosperous future. Visit www.rootedpg.com today to learn more about how Rooted Planning Group can help you grow your money roots. Every week, it's my goal to share a story of someone's journey through their life and financial vineyard. We take you from their roots to the journey of their vines and the influences in the air that have helped craft their delicious lives. Like wine, life and finances have different palates that should be celebrated and not judged. Welcome to this edition of Wine and Dime with Amy Irvine. I am pleased today to have a special guest, Katie Lee, who is a managing director of Brimstone Consulting Group. Now. This topic is one that I have heard so much over the last six to eight months, and that's the topic about burnout. Katie is a coach, a writer, a consultant, and for close to 20 years has worked with Fortune 500 companies, startups, academia, leaders, and aspiring leaders in the United States. Really cool, you've been to Africa and Asia (laughs) to build brands and develop people and teams and solve problems and create the future. And so Katie, thank Kate, sorry, uh, thank you so much for being part of the show today. We are excited to have you and and to bring your experience as an associated coach, um, as well as the International Coach uh, Federation designation, as well as a, signif- um, a certificate in the brain-based coaching. I actually read that. I'm like, that's really interesting. I want to <laughs> learn a little bit more about that. <laughs> because, you know, as, as we financial planners, we're always, people think it's about math that we do, and it's really about habits, and it's really about the way your brain thinks. So when I read that, I'm like, that's really interesting. I want to learn a little bit more about that. But anyways, welcome to the show. We're so glad to have you. Well, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. So as you know, we start the show with the fun side of the podcast, which is the wine side. And I understand you're a Pinot Noir fan. I am. I am a Pinot Noir fan, uh, you know, primarily in the cooler weather. I like a nice rosé in the summer. You know, I also, though, have a one of my favorite wines is um, Pimento, which is more of a Bordeaux. It's by a woman, Mm -hmm. Michelle Dupree, who's the um, only female winemaker in Bordeaux. And... um, that is definitely a wine to check out as well. Well, I'm going to have to get more details on that one when I'm re-listening to the podcast to make the show notes. I will have to grab her name and look up her information because um, people don't realize how few women just in general are actually winemakers or uh, wine uh, vineyard owners. It's a very, very limited number of, of women that are in that profession. So I always 
love to promote what they are making, creating, crafting, designing, and growing. And uh, and then, of course, I love to drink it, too. So. <laughs> well, it is one that I would highly recommend. <laughs> and Bordeaux, to, hence, to be my goat. Like, I'm a big red wine drinker. I love reds. And here in the Finger Lakes of, of Western New York, we're starting to get more into that style. They're, they're learning that there's some areas of our... our uh, land that actually will grow a decent Bordeaux. It's, it, it has to be specific grapes, but, um, and they can't really call it a Bordeaux because it's not grown in the Bordeaux region, but it's that style. Yeah. Well, now that I have a new wine to go look for, <laughs> I really want to walk down through your journey, uh, as, um, as somebody who has been through several cycles, I would say, in the course of my almost 30-year career of burnout and currently working with a coach on the specific reasons why we do that and how to kind of come out of it a little bit, um, I read an article that you wrote that just struck a chord with me. And I think one of the things that I've been hearing an awful lot about, as I said in the introduction, is people just feeling very burnt out. They've been, this past year hasn't helped, right? We've been on the go. We've been focused on what needs to get done. We've been doing business very differently as we've needed to do. Um, And on the other side of that, uh, that we're now coming out of it, people now are starting to go back to their office, not necessarily wanting to go back to the office. It's adding to the length of their day. I'm just hearing a lot of clients say, I'm burnt out. Like I, even though I just worked from home and didn't go into the office for the last year, I'm done. I just don't have the motivation I used to have. So your article really struck a chord with me and probably because at times I've, I've actually seen that. And I, I want to learn a little bit more about that topic, but how you also became sort of known for working with this and coaching people around this. Sure. So, you know, first, um, you know, I think this is an incredibly important topic. I mean, burnout has, is not anything new. Uh, you know, pre-pandemic, about 10% of the workforce was burnt out. And now, you know, we're looking at about 20% of the workforce is burnt out with wow. about half of people heading towards burnout. And burnout, to to meet the criteria of burnout, Christine Maslach from um, University of California, Berkeley, she developed the Maslach Burnout Inventory. And that is um, what is used in order to evaluate what burnout is. And so, you know, burnout requires um, three criteria, exhaustion, feelings of cynicism or negativity towards work, and reduced efficacy um, at work. So when you have each of those three things, you have hit burnout. Um, If you're not, if you don't have all three of those, then you are approaching burnout. And so, you know, right now with half of the population approaching burnout, you know, now's really the time if you're feeling like you are going towards burnout to really try to take steps to mitigate, um, to mitigate that, to stop it. And, you know, as you said, with the pandemic, you know, there's been a lot of challenges and, you know, the main causes of burnout our unsustainable workload, perceived lack of control. And if you think about this past year and even now, uh, you know, there's a lot that we mm-hmm. feel like we cannot 
control. Since you brought up, you know, the going back to the office, people, you know, feeling like they don't have control in that decision. Um, you know, the third cause, uh, ins insignificant or sorry, insufficient rewards for effort. Uh, lack of a supportive community, lack of fairness, mismatched values and skills. So, you know, those are all causes of burnout. Um, and it's interesting. Things, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, it's interesting that last one, um, because I think um, when you talked about, pers I think you used the word perceived unfairness, mm -hmm. or I interpret it perceived unfairness. <laughs> <laughs> Um, that's something that's, it, it may or may not be true, but it's perceived, right? And that's, that person's perception is their reality. And it, it may not even, they, it may be because they didn't ask for assistance and they're perceiving that they can't ask for assistance, right? Because guilty party, like a number one person that's like, you know, won't ask for help. Um, stand, you know, like I just, I have this phenomenal team that I work with every single day. And it's got to get to a pretty big breaking point before I'll reach out and say, mm. Hey, does anybody have any time to help me with this? Because my perception is they're busy. I don't want to put the workload on them. You know, it's not that I perceive they aren't working hard. It's just, I perceive it's unfair that I mm. like try to put something on them. And so it's interesting that you, that the last piece there is that perceived unfairness because I think sometimes we self-reflected on ourselves a little bit. So identifying those three things says you're headed for or basically in burnout. Was this, did you go down this path from a standpoint of, um, you know, learning more about helping people with burnout because of anything that you've personally experienced in life? Or was it just an area that you were really interested in or saw a lot of people experiencing? Um, the latter. And a lot of it comes from, you know, burnout is not an individual issue. It is an organizational issue. So in 2019, the World Health Organization classified it as a syndrome conceptualized as resulting from chronic work, work workplace stress. And that in itself is really important because what usually happens is organizations place the burden of you know mitigating burnout or recovering from burnout on the shoulders of the individuals but it's really an organizational issue um it is you know how the organization um is is designed how the org how work happens together that really um that really causes burnout. Um, you know, Christine, Dr. Maslach, she um, has a great analogy. If you think about a cucumber, it is if you, the cucumber itself does not turn into a pickle, right? It is if you put a cucumber in a jar of vinegar, that is what turns it into the sour pickle. So, you know, think about the cucumber as the individual and the vinegar mm -hmm. as the organization. And I mean, there are steps that organizations, you know, feel that they are taking to mitigate burnout. For example, you know, trying to bring people together with, you know, happy hours or doing <laughs> yoga, but those are really creating more stress for people. So, you know, especially in this past year where people have felt like 
they are always on, mm-hmm. you know, they're always on the screen, they're always working. And then to say, and now we're going to have a happy hour, or <laughs> we're going to bring you together for yoga. Mm-hmm. Um, while it's a nice idea in practice, it really can cause, you know, additional stress, um, you know, especially as people were losing their jobs and feeling like, you know, they didn't have the ability to say no. So for me, um, you know, I came to it, uh, the, the issue of burnout, uh, really thinking about, you know, how organizations, um, how organizations work, how they can support their their people, uh, you know, steps that they need to take um, in terms of strategy, you know, their mm-hmm. overall strategy, it needs to include, um, you know, actions to mitigate burnout. Um, and then also just in my work with coaching, you know, a lot of my clients have experienced burnout or, you know, are or have been approaching burnout. So really working mm-hmm. with you know, individuals to take the steps needed to you know, create new habits, to focus on change uh, so that they are able to you know, move forward and, um, you know, not go into, not go into burnout. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I heard, you know, the first thing you said was exhaustion. Mm-hmm. If, if somebody is starting to feel that, like, let's say that's the symptom that they have right now and there's, they haven't moved into the other symptoms, but mm-hmm. they're starting to feel exhausted. If, if they recognize that is a symptom, because sometimes you know, we don't, right? So mm-hmm. a lot of times probably we don't, we're just tired. We're busy, you know, we're tired. We don't recognize exhaustion as that first layer of burnout. What are some of the things that you could take a step and back, take a step back and look at and say, is this just, I'm tired because I'm being pulled in a lot of direction or is this headed for burnout? Yeah, I think it's really looking at all of the various components, right? Those, those six causes of burnout, you know, if we look at those six causes and you're trying to figure out, um, you know, are you, uh, you know, are you just exhausted? You know, have you been working ridiculously long hours? Mm -hmm. Has it been a really, really stressful year? Um, You know, or is it that you are suddenly, you know, you're not just exhausted, but, you know, you're losing interest in your work. You're becoming cynical. You know, you have, you know, increased anger or agitation. You know, maybe you're even getting sick all the time. So, you know, it's mm. those other pieces that kind of will almost bleed into exhaustion. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you think about, um, you know, burnout doesn't come on quickly. And it's, if you think about a ball or a balloon with a slow leak in it, um, where suddenly it's not a sudden deflation, but it just happens over time. And so, as you said, you know, exhaustion may be the first thing that you really notice, but then if you really start to dig in to, well, why am I feeling exhausted? What is it that is causing, that is causing it? Are there actually other symptoms that I am feeling? Um, because if you really start to reflect, there may be additional insights that mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. gain and that you are able to recognize, I need to make some changes or it actually looks like I am experiencing, you know, some of mm-hmm. these other symptoms. I just had not been aware of it. Mm -hmm. So as an individual who might be working for an organization, if I was experiencing burnout and Mm -hmm. you were saying that it's actually how the organization is designed, Mm -hmm. 
what would I do if other than change jobs, which I use that because that's what's happened to me in the past, right? So when I've gotten to that point where I'm just completely burnt out, my reaction is to just go work for something, you know, like find another job, go work for a different employer. The problem that I've had over the course of my career is that, you know, I did that several times, but the problem never got solved. (laughs) (laughs) You know, the, you kind of go through that. I did anyways, I went through those stages of when I would change companies because I got burnt out, you know, I was all excited about the new job. I was all pumped up. I was energized. Okay. You know, this is going to be different. And then whether it's my work ethic or whether it's just the, you know, jumping from one fire frying pan to another, I don't know, but if it's an organizational issue or how the organization is designed, how do I as an individual say, okay, I'm experiencing this burnout. How do I address it if I can't get my organization to realize they're part of the solution? Well, I think it can even be, you know, going to your, um, you know, your manager, for example, um, and saying, you know, right now I have an unsustainable workload. For example, um, you know, I and I don't feel that I am being supported in my role. Um, you know, if, using those two examples of causes mm-hmm. of burnout, but then going and saying, "This is what I need in order to make to move beyond burnout." Right. So being able to identify, you know, it's an unsustainable work workload. This is what I need in order to make it more sustainable. So, you know, going in with action items, because that, um, that control is really important, right? So if you are able to say that you have control over certain things, so for example, you know, your own path, if you have control over it, or you have control over your well-being, that Mm -hmm. is really important, right? Because there may be Mm -hmm. so many other things that you can't control. And if that's what you focus on, it is going to cause more anxiety. Mm -hmm. So really being able to identify what you can focus on and taking actions around or sorry, not what you can focus on, but what you can control and taking mm-hmm. actions around those things that you are able to control. Um, but going back to what you originally said, you know, research has shown that the majority of people who are, who do reach burnout, you know, full burnout, changing jobs does tend to be, you know, the most, um, you know, the best way to move the beyond com- the common burnout. solution to yeah. it is to just get away from the yeah, situation. Sometimes you just need a, a big change. And, and I think one of the things that I, I mean, now that I run my own company, it's not, I'm not saying that I can't, can't get to burnout. Mm-hmm. Cause I, I certainly can from that perspective as well. And <laughs> once you start running your own company, leaving your own company, makes it a little challenging. <laughs> but you have more control of saying, Hey, mm-hmm. wait a minute. I have, I, I have these symptoms. I need to make some changes and you can actually be at that organization organizational level, making the changes. Um, I know you've done a lot of work around social enterprise, gender parity, um, work-life integration, and you've actually published some blogs. Um, I think it was in the Harvard Business School Press and was there the Supply Chain Quarterly. And I think I read, let me look real quick. Yeah, the Pre-Hospital Disaster Medicine. (laughs) When, When I read that about you, um, you know, what this, especially the pre-hospital disaster um, medicine, it, what came to mind was, you know, 
I've never worked the same kind of shifts that the medical field has ever worked, but I've worked some really long days consecutively. And those certainly create that feeling of exhaustion and um, losing interest and stress and resentment. Um, I've got to think that, you know, from a physician's standpoint or a medical field standpoint, that's probably an area of significant burnout. It is. It's actually the, the medical profession is one of the, you know, where burnout is seen um, the most. There's been a lot of research around, um, you know, doctors in various fields, around nurses, um, around burnout. And, you know, mm-hmm. that is where a, a lot of, of burnout is, um, you know, it is that exhaustion, um, you know, that always, that always on, um, mm-hmm. you know, needing to always be on. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, that is a field where there has been a lot of research around burnout. And I've got to believe that last year didn't help that. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, I, I sat at home most of last year and did all of, you know, all the work that I needed to, needed to do. I was very protected from that perspective. I mean, still very concerned and diligent and aware of what was going on around me. But for our clients that are in the medical profession, you know, they, they were in the thick of it. And I mean, there were times where I just called to say, you, you doing okay? Uh-huh. You know, not, not even talking about their finances in any way, shape or form, but just how is your mental health? Because there were times where, you know, I'm, I'm not, a, I wouldn't call myself an extrovert. Um, I actually joke and say I'm a reformed introvert, <laughs> <laughs> um, but even I got to the point where I'm like, okay, I just, I need to stretch my wings a little bit and I'm, you know, live out in the country. So it wasn't about just going outside. It was about some social interaction. And yet these folks were in the thick of it with more social interaction than anybody really was anybody else other than Mm -hmm. grocery stores. Maybe Um, I've got to believe they were just under an enormous amount of stress last year, creating some burnout. Are you seeing some, I guess, post now, because we're not really truly out of the pandemic yet, but post pandemic results from that? You know, I, I have not, you know, done any work around, around that, but, um, you know, what I will say is that what I, my research into that area has shown that, you know, there is in that, in that field and, you know, across across um the board just you know burnout increasing um you know as i said at the beginning you know the prevalence has gone from 10 percent to 20 percent with you know more than half of people on the way to burnout and within the medical profession you know even even greater um Mm -hmm. even greater percentages there or prevalence so if an organization you know wants to make sure that they're attracting the right people and trying to assist especially if they're seeing some burnout happen or they're they're feeling it themselves they actually recognize Mm -hmm. that it's an organizational it's an organizational structure what where would they go I'm assuming somebody like you, where would they go to actually do the work to take a peek at that and say, okay, is it our structure? Are our employees constantly, even if they're not leaving, are they experiencing burnout? And so they're not as effective as they could be, as you mentioned. Um, so we need to make some changes and, you know, any organization I've ever, including my own, my own business, 
it's when somebody comes in from the outside and tells us something we probably already know, mm-hmm. <laughs> but has some solutions that we may not know. I, I think that's really important, right? I mean, the organization deep down you know, understands or knows what the issues are, but by working with an outside organization, you know, you you are able to, you know, have that partner um, come in and tell you, work with you um, to help identify not only what the issue is, but also, um, you know, what actions you can take. Um, And around burnout, as with anything, you know, what you measure, you can change. So, you know, if you, um, you know, are looking at, um, you know, employee engagement, for example, and you're seeing, you know, a significant decline or you're seeing, you know, um, decline in retention, um, you know, those can all be indicators of, um, you know, of an issue. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I will say, you know, the steps around mitigating burnout within an organization, you know, a lot of it is really, it can even be going back to the basics, Um, you you know, rather than continue with an always on mentality, you know, making sure that there aren't, there isn't the expectation to reply to or emails on the weekends or in the, in the evenings. And, you know, this is the responsibility of the leader as well, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. I mean, if the leader is sending emails on the weekends Mm -hmm. or in the evening, you know, the employee is going to feel that they do need to respond, even if it, even if the email says you don't need to respond. Yeah. Schedule send is my best friend. Yes. (laughs) Schedule send is amazing. Um, You know, you can write the email when you're thinking about it and then, Mm -hmm. you know, send it, schedule it to send at an appropriate time. But, you know, that always on mentality, back-to-back meetings, you know, those are things that that can easily be changed or somewhat easily be changed, right? I mean, it is a shift in terms of how the organization works, but those uh, steps, those changes can mm-hmm. have a big impact. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, also making sure that people do take time off and that mm-hmm. when people take time off, they you're take not, yeah, you know, you're not contacting them. You yeah. know, it, it sh- it's when people are off, they should be off. You know, there should yeah. be no expectations that they are checking their emails, that they need to, you know, be available. When you're off, you're off. Yeah. Slack recently, we use Slack in our team um, and they recently released, they're, they're rolling it out slowly, but they recently released um, the schedule send option within mm. Slack. And I was like doing a happy dance because <laughs> we do so much communication internally with Slack just to try to keep our email boxes somewhat clean for Uh client, you know, emails that come in. And when I saw that that was being rolled out, because I, I think very clearly, very early in the morning, you know, that's my, Uh I don't expect anybody else to be awake at 4.30 or five o'clock, but that's my think time. And I'm very clear. I'm very idea oriented. I can get more done between 
five o'clock in the morning and 10 o'clock in the morning than most people can in their entire day. But that's, we should get you know, together because that is my time as well. So. <laughs> but I have teammates that not so much, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> and, and I wouldn't, I, you know, I don't really like them waking up to, you know, four or five Slack messages and, I tend have started to do like a, a a document that I keep over to the side that's like these are the messages that mm-hmm. I want to send so that I'm not doing some of that um you know 4:35 o'clock in the morning kind of messages out to them it's just not something I want them to wake up to mm-hmm. you know it's not the way that um I don't necessarily it, it doesn't bother me but it bothers me to feel like they feel exactly what you just said. Like, okay, well, Amy was working at, you know, five o'clock in the morning and I didn't start working until eight o'clock, you know, cause I know our team, I know that that's, they feel that way, but they also don't know that it necessarily like, you know, six o'clock at night, I at the very latest six 30, I'm done. Mm-hmm. Unless it's a unique situation, like I'm shutting down where mm-hmm. other people on our team, you know, that's their hot time. That's when they're, and that's perfectly fine, but it does, it, it does create that environment of if you have people on the team that work late like that, and then you have people on the team that work early like me, you have that stretch of, well, it seems like everybody's working for 14 hours a day because, you know, we're just working at different times and we, we predominantly do work remotely. And we've always had the flexibility, flexibility with on our team, like doesn't matter when the work gets done, as long as it gets done kind of thing. But it, I think it has, um, and not just our team, but I think in the world, because of that, there is some, you know, sense of I'm supposed to always be working because there's a perception that a teammate of mine has worked more when it actually in the middle of the day, they maybe had to go get their kids and they didn't work mm-hmm. for an hour or two hours, you know, but that that's not noticed. Mm-hmm. What's noticed is that they're working outside of hours. So when, when I think it's important from an organizational perspective to, maybe ask some questions, right? I, I think as a leader, we can take a step back and and try to notice some things, but um, sometimes maybe ask some questions about how people are feeling too, to try to identify some of those um, symptoms mm-hmm. that you mentioned. But what if you're in it? What if you realize I am in burnout and I don't just like the company, although mm-hmm. they may not change, you know, but I really... I actually do like my job and I really don't want to change employers. I know that you said it starts with organizational structure, but are there things that we can do at the individual level that can help us come out of it at all or deal with it? Maybe cope with it is a good word. I don't know. Well, I, you know, acknowledging it, you know, recognizing that you are burnt out is, really important because then you are able to take action to to change um and so acknowledging it is so important and then getting help so as you said you know talking to a coach um can be incredibly helpful talking to you know a therapist could also be you know extremely helpful um but you know if it's perhaps you know identifying how you may also be, you know, your habits, how you work may be um, contributing to burnout. So, you know, for example, if you say, I am not going to, um, to check my messages 
after, you know, six o'clock, you know, I'm going to turn Slack off. I'm going to turn my phone Mm -hmm. off. I'm not going to check email. Um, You know, that, that may seem really scary, (laughs) you know, especially if, it seems as though you, there is a requirement in your organization. Um, but, you know, part of it could be a perceived requirement, you know, so it is trying to understand, um, you know, what, what have you put on yourself and what has, um, what have you, what, um, what has the organization really put on you? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I'm a, I'm a perceived person. Mm. I can perceive things that are truly just my perception. Mm-hmm. They truly are. And I, I think that it's kind of the way that I've explained it in the past is that it's kind of like if you learned to, you were self-taught to pick golf and all of a sudden, you know, you started taking lessons. Well, for 20 years, you've developed all of these habits on how to swing the club, how to view the field, right? Uh, And all of a sudden you have this coach come in and they're saying, turn this way or turn that way or hold the club this way. It feels foreign. It's Uh perceived foreign, but it's, it's actually the right answer to, um, to solving the problem that whatever that problem is as to why you hired the coach. Right. But it's a, but it's perceived foreign because for Mm -hmm. so many years we've done it a particular way. So that's why I say I'm a big perceived person because for 27 years, you know, I've worked in a, in a, in the workforce in some way, shape or form and, and developed those bad habits of (laughs) perception and experience sometimes can work against you. Mm-hmm. you know, in those, in those situations. So having somebody come out and question, is that true or is that a perception that's untrue, I think is really helpful in, in asking the question sometimes, uh, both at the group, at the organizational level and at the ind- individual level. Um, yeah, gain, I'm I mean, curious. gaining those, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Gaining I was going to say, you know, gaining those insights and then developing new habits so incredibly important. Um, you know, the other piece that's important that I really love are is the idea of um, resilience deposits. And so, you know, resilience deposits is if you think about, you know, your bank account, you want money coming in and out. <laughs> um, you know, if it's just going out, nice. that's not, uh, <laughs> you know, that is not ideal. And so if you are just giving, giving, giving in your life, in your work, you know, you're, you're going to, um, you know, you're going to get empty (laughs) at some point. And so it's, you know, taking those, um, you know, the time to, in, in your life to build those resilience deposits, you know, taking vacations, you know, exercise, you know, um, you know, really thinking about what is it that fuels and energizes you and making sure that you have that coming in Mm. and that it's Mm. not all going out. And I really love the idea of, you know, resilience deposits. So, you know, I used to feel guilty, right, about taking time (laughs) to do things that were enjoyable, um, you know, because I had so little time, but, you know, reframing it as resilience deposits so that I had, um, you know, a bank full of, you know, these, these deposits 
really helped me say mm -hmm. it's okay to to kind of stop uh, for a bit and do um, you know do some of these these things that um, you know before I was like I just should not take the time to do. <laughs> yeah, so you're talking to somebody who hasn't taken a true vacation in six years and has <laughs> one scheduled. <laughs> you do have one scheduled. I do Good. in July. Yeah, and I actually. Um, one of the things that I have asked one of my teammates to do is to um, actually keep my laptop mm. to, um, because I'm one, again, I get up early. It doesn't really quote unquote bother me to get up and look at emails, respond, you know, try to keep that email box low. But I was, you know, thinking about this first vacation in the last six years that I'm going to be taking. And I'm like, you know, I think what I could do is actually, um, have them designated to look through my emails. You know, they, there's nothing in there that they shouldn't have access to, um, to, uh, anything that is in Slack to, you know, just turn it off, like turn off Slack. You know, if they post something in general, I can catch up when I, it's a week, it's one week. It's, yeah. it's actually five business days, you know, I mean, thinking about all that and just sort of saying, well, how can I, how can I feel rested and not, you know, because my thing has always been, well, if I can keep up on emails and I won't feel like stressed when I come back, mm -hmm. but if I'm keeping up on emails, I'm not actually letting my brain rest. Right. Mm -hmm. So talking to one of my teammates about like, Hey, I'm going to actually make you the keeper of my laptop. <laughs> I'm going to designate, um, somebody to, to keep the, the junk out of my email box. Cause I do get a lot of junk too, to forward emails from clients. Cause I'll have an out of office, but to, you know, for emails to clients to somebody that can help them and depend on them to to help me through so that I'm a better person and can be a better leader when I come back to the the calendar after my vacation and actually have a second vacation scheduled about four weeks after that um so like the first one's a test of like you know and the second one is nope that worked I'm gonna do it again <laughs> That's, that is great. I think that, you know, that's an incredible strategy, right? I mean, you have, you put everything in place. So, you know, you have that kind of control piece yeah. where you, and you feel comfortable with, you know, your plan. Um, and you also recognize how important that time and space is for thinking. Um, you know, Netflix, um, a while back, recognized that you know the employees after vacations were coming back with incredible ideas. You know, mm -hmm. great, great ideas that helped move the organization forward. Yeah. And it was after that that they decided to implement, uh, you know, unlimited vacation time and really mm -hmm. enforce it. Um, you know, giving yourself. And mm -hmm. making sure that, you know, your employees take that time off is so important for your, um, for your health, <laughs> for your well-being. Yeah. 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 For everybody's. We implemented an unlimited vacation policy a couple of years ago. Of course, last year was like, where am I going to go? What am I going to yeah. do? You know, but um, what we found is that I said, I, I, I think I'm going to have to implement a minimum uh -huh. because when it went to unlimited, people were like, well, I don't know, you know, they're not taking it. 
and maybe a week here, a week there, they're, they're not taking the time. So mm-hmm. I think we're going to have to implement like, okay, you have to take three weeks vacation. I don't care when you take it, but you have to take it. Um, and then the rest is if you need it, you need it, whatever. But it's, it's interesting. I don't know if that, if other firms are finding that same problem when they, when they sort of take the, the barriers off and say, you know, life gets in the way sometimes. So just go do what you need to do. Um, but we're, we're finding that. That's definitely been um, a problem. And I would say that you would not be the only organization that has moved from unlimited to minatory, minimum mandatory vacation. Yeah. Time. Yeah. And I think, you know, I have to be that example. That's part of the problem. I mean, I'll admit it. Like I'm part of the problem within our organization because um, I think if I started taking three weeks vacation, everybody else would start taking three weeks vacation. <laughs> but I am doing two this year, so at least I'm doing that. <laughs> that is good. That is a step. <laughs> um, Kate, uh, I, I'm so enjoyed this conversation and um, can't say thank you enough for sharing some of the identifying um, symptoms of burnout, ways that people can start to think about it, resources that they can you know either read or go to. Um, you know, I do think that coaching, it probably is one of the the most, I'm a big fan of any kind of, co- like all sorts of coaching, right? Um, but I do want to just quickly ask the question about, you know, how, how did you become a coach? What, what sort of drove you down that path out of curiosity to help people with this kind of um, event, if you want to call it that, in their life? Well, I had... Um you know, I was actually talking with a friend who was a coach um, several years ago and, you know, had told her, you know, we'd really been identifying, you know, different pieces, um, kind of threads throughout my, my roles that I, where I really got my energy. And, you know, she suggested perhaps, you know, I should explore adding coaching to my, my repertoire. And I, you know, went down the road of exploring different um, paths to that, you know, I'd done informal coaching, you know, through, through my various roles for, you know, a number of years, um, but really wanted to take it the next, um, the next Mm -hmm. step, but wanted to find the right fit for me in terms of what that would look like. And, you know, I am someone who is analytical. (laughs) You know, I love research. And so when I found the Neuroleadership Institute, which one can get a certificate in brain-based coaching, so that is on, you know, what is it that makes the brain work? And how Mm. can we take that understanding to drive change, you know, to um, mm. to shift habits, uh, you know, that resonated with me. And so I went down that path and got my certification, um, mm. from the neuro leadership Institute and then went on, um, to, um, to get my associates coach certification through the international coach federation. That's so interesting because like I said, as financial planners, we're constantly trying to figure out what makes people tick. You know, a, a lot of people think it's about the, the math and in reality, it's actually about, I mean, why do you work? You don't work because <laughs> you don't work because it's work. You work because you want a particular lifestyle or you want some, there's a goal generally. I mean, I love what I do in every way, shape or form, but I, I still have to work. I mean, there's, there's 
the resources that I earn from working get me things that I want, right? And that's what is what is X. I always joke with my nephews and nieces, you know, when they're talking about math and if they say they don't like it, I'm like, oh, you use math every day of your life. You, and especially algebra, you solve for X like every single day, <laughs> every single moment. You just don't realize that you are necessarily. It's such a logic, you know, kind of relationship. And, um, you know, that, that part of it, how the brain thinks and processes, or even going back to like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, like why do we, why do we spend money a certain way? Is it because we have, we've ingrained something in us the way that we've seen something or experienced something or whatever it might be? It's, it's neurological. And it's how, and how many articles have we read that have said, you know, shopping makes some people go like endorphin crazy, right? (laughs) Where people like me, I'm like, oh, please don't make me go shopping. It's totally going to drain my endorphins. (laughs) So it's interesting that that's the path um, that you went down and, and explored and how that then drives, even like in this situation, you know, it's not, it's, it's burnout too. And, and sometimes people, you know, perceive that they have to earn a certain amount of money. Um, and it's causing them this repetitive burnout. And when we actually sit down and look at some of the, the needs that are basic, basic, and then the true wants that they have, we come to a conclusion that they actually don't need to earn that kind of money. Very and true. That's very neurological. So mm-hmm. again, very interested in that. I actually brought it up um, just to see what what the program was out of curiosity after I read it in your bio. So, um, well, I just want to say thank you so much. I know I've taken more of your time than you than I um, anticipated, or you, maybe you did as well. But I I do want to say thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day. And I know you're having some crazy weather down there today, <laughs> so or up there actually from where we are. Um, so I hope you stay safe. Um, it I I always like to close this show with one final um, sort of. I guess the dime side of the show. And that's to say, if there is um, one financial tip or financial piece of advice that you've been given that you've either implemented or you've seen implemented or wish that you had known earlier in your life, what would that be? You know, I think for me, I wish that I had recognized the importance of, you know, saving retirement earlier. You know, I began my career in public health where, uh, you know, international public health where salaries are not that high. And so Mm -hmm. for me, you know, it was prioritizing my living (laughs) and not Mm -hmm. my future. And, um, you know, looking back should have also included a, um, you know, kind of that forward looking piece as well. But when you're right in it, it, um, it can be challenging. Yeah. I mean, that's the, you know, that's one of my frustrations in our education system, to be honest with you, is that no, like there isn't even in high school, because not everybody goes to college. Um, I think we might be at 20, 20 or 21 States now. So it's still not half that require any kind of financial education in high school. And some high schools do it anyways, but there's, you know, it's, it's not a required course and it's something that affects our entire life. It's not, we weren't born to understand finance. Like we were born to breathe, you know, our body didn't just instinctively wake up someday and say, Oh, I should understand finance. And yet there's this, like, I should know it kind of attitude, you know? And I wish that, 
in every program, they had like a basic money class that said, even if you can save $5 a week, $5 a week, if you think of the course of your career and, and you think that every, even say 10 years, your money doubles, your 20s are such a critical time because by the time, if you, if you have saved, you know, $10,000 by the time you're, you're 30, then, you know, by the time you're 40, that's 20. By the time you're, you're 50, that's 40, right? By the time you're, no, I'm sorry, the math is wrong on that. By the time you're 30, that's 20. By the time, if you're doubling that all over again, that's 40. And by the time that you're looking at, um, at 40, now you're at, you know, 80 and then 80 is at 160 and that's just $10,000 and that's not saving anything more. Right. So understanding like that power of money is, is so important. So I think, you know, it's great that you shared that for, for people that might be listening that are in their twenties and thirties, there's that, that compounding that we always talk about, but I don't think people realize that, you know, it's that just about if you have a 7% rate of return, then about every 10 years, you're doubling your money. And that money that started in your twenties really makes a substantial impact when you're in your forties and fifties. So thank you for sharing that. And again, thank you so much for being a guest. We really appreciate you sharing your knowledge. And as this year continues to develop, um, more and more people, I think, are are really starting to to have some of those symptoms and need to take a step back and look and see: is it is it them? Is it the organization? You know, what do they need to do to before they go into full burnout? Because having been there, um, the only way that I was able to get out of it was to basically walk away from the situation and and change to a different job, which actually then led to like that repetitive behavior. <laughs> And, um, you know, hopefully some of this information can stop people from going all the way down that road and having to make those kinds of changes, those drastic changes in their lives. So thank you so much for being part of the show. Thank you. I really appreciate it. And I am thrilled that you have a vacation on the calendar (laughs) and that, that you have a plan in place so that you really are able to unplug and enjoy yeah. it. it. I'm in desperate need of decompression. <laughs> <laughs> the beach is calling. <laughs> and that will about do it for today's episode of Wine and Dime. You can contact Amy through the website www.rootedpg.com or amy at rootedpg.com. You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram at rootedpg for the latest news. And if you have any questions, comments, or topics you would like to hear about, feel free to let us know. Don't forget to rate and subscribe the show wherever you get your podcasts. And again, thank you for listening and be sure to tune in next time.